Before we look to the Lord's word and preach it, let's ask for his blessing. Gracious Lord, we know that you have inspired the scriptures. Spirit, we know of your role in bringing to us the truth. And now we wait upon you to illuminate what you have inspired, what you have had written. We pray that you would bless the words of your servant's lips and the meditations of our hearts, that they may be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. I start with an Old Testament scripture reading from Exodus chapter 3. Actually, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3, and then a few verses from chapter 4 as well. Hear now the word of God. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and... Behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. To chapter 4 now, first five verses. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And then skipping to verse 10. 
But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Now I would like to turn to the New Testament and 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy 1, I'd like to read the first eight verses. <clears throat> Again, the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as, I did, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be Filled with joy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I'll end the reading of God's word at this point. You may be seated. My text is Paul's words to Timothy in verses 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fan into flame. Okay. I think you understand the illusion, the reference even though we don't have open fires much anymore. They did many times in those days. And an open fire like this needs to have a constant source of oxygen. And so there are times when there's not much movement of air and everything is kind of damp. There are times when you need to fan that flame. If you've started a, a leaf pile on fire in your backyard, you know what I mean. Uh, you probably know what I mean if you still use a, a grill that's, uh, that's charcoal and, and you need to somehow fan that a little bit to get it started. Fan into flame. This ember, this beginning of fire. Paul uses that image to encourage this young pastor, Timothy, pastor in Ephesus, 
to use his God-given gift faithfully and to use it well. Don't let that gift smolder, says Paul to Timothy. Fan it into flame. Don't let it sputter. Now, clearly the church leaders among us tonight need to pay attention to this because it was written to a church leader, to Timothy, this leader in the church there in Ephesus. Elders, Sunday school teachers and the like need to pay attention to this, but it isn't just them. It's all of us. For all of us have been given gifts. Older members, younger members, all of us have been given gifts by God. As Paul had made so clear in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, we're all members of the body, the body of Christ, his hands, his feet, his mouthpieces. We, the very means which he often uses to get his good work accomplished in the world. His good work, the, the work of restoring, the work of healing, the work of building, the work of bringing into the kingdom, the work of promoting what is morally right, these good things that God has in mind. He works through his body, the members of his body. Listen to what Peter says about the gifts that God gives to us to accomplish these things. Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God has given an ember to all of us. We need to fan it into flame. Now, before I go further, I want to take us on a brief side trip into the word spirit. Paul says here, you did not receive a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Spirit, translators and commentators disagree among themselves as to whether the S there in spirit should be capitalized or not. Is Paul talking about an attitude that we have? Spirit, that's the spirit, kid. Go go do it, go get it. Uh, is this an, an attitude that we have, an orientation that we have, our spirit if so, it should be a lowercase s, and that is the, the way that the ESV chooses to translate. But maybe Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit here. Could be. God has given you a spirit. Could be the Holy Spirit he's thinking about. If so, we need a capital S. And the NIV and other translations do opt for that. Well, I don't think we need to choose. As believers, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. All of us. It's one of the beautiful blessings that God gives to us. This morning in our church school class, our, our Sunday school class, Wendy and I were teaching, and I asked the kids, what are some of the blessings that God gives to us? And the first thing that came out of one of the kids' mouths, seventh through ninth grade, the Holy Spirit. I was, I was thrilled by that. It's a beautiful answer. Yes, yes. The Holy Spirit, a wonderful gift. All of us are filled with that Spirit. That Spirit is constantly molding and shaping our thoughts, our emotions, 
our wills, all parts of us. That Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is bringing our spirit more and more in line with Himself. More and more in line with the attitude that our Savior had when He was here upon the earth. So the Holy Spirit in us, molding and shaping our spirits, they really go together. So then, what is the nature of that Spirit? And how will it be like this fresh breeze that fans the flame in the gift that God has given to us? Our text addresses this in two ways. First, it talks about what the Spirit is not. It points us to another Spirit that will actually dampen the fire, that will hinder our use of gifts and opportunities that God gives to us. And then it goes on, to talk about the true nature of the spirit that comes from God, a spirit that will fan the flame. So let's look at it both ways. First, what dampens this fire down? Paul says, God did not give us a spirit of fear. Spirit of fear, that's like the wet blanket, sure to damp down that fire and make it burn lower. Consider that for a minute. This fear. What is is Paul talking about? Well, let's begin with the fear of what other people might think of us, what they might say, what they might do to us. Paul knew very well about the opposition that Timothy would encounter there in Ephesus as he tried to exercise his gift and do what called it, what God had called him to do. When Paul and his cohorts first preached at Ephesus, maybe you remember, the supporters of the pagan goddess Diana became so incensed at what Paul was saying about the true God that they nearly started a riot there. The followers of Jesus were in dire danger. And when Paul writes to Timothy, if you read the rest of this, you will will see that it isn't just those outsiders, those pagans there in in Ephesus that were going to be a danger, but even some within the church, Paul points out to Timothy, are going to be false teachers. They're going to strive to lead people astray. And as we have Read here, Paul himself says, I am a prisoner for the Lord even now as I write this to you. So yes, Timothy, you are going to encounter opposition. Yes, some of it's going to be pretty strong. Some of it's going to be arising from people in the congregation that you thought you could trust. Well, we aren't in quite the same position, of course, and and thanks be to God, we don't encounter that kind of physical threat that these people did, that, that Timothy would there in Ephesians, in Ephesus. But, as you well know, not everyone will be happy with us when we try to use our spiritual gifts. Some will argue, some will be downright hostile, some will try to make us look like fools. I suspect maybe you encounter more of that in 
uh, a secular university town such as, as you have here than, than I would in the area that I live in. But even, even where I'm at, some will leave us alone, will not want to be our friends, will just sort of back off, considering us to be too fanatical if we try to represent the Lord in one way or another. And sometimes the people that do this are important to us. They're people that we interact with all the time. Maybe they're members of family. We want them to like us. We fear that they will not. And that fear hinders us from speaking or from acting. I feel that wet blanket begin to descend on me way too often. I can point to examples, getting into conversation, maybe with an unbeliever at some point. I get this, I don't know about you guys, you ladies, when I get my hair cut, then I'm sitting there with somebody and we have a little chance to chat and, and you know, and sometimes that conversation goes in a direction and you think, I think I could say something here that would, you know, put in a good word for the Lord that would, that would help this person to think about that. And then, and then you, you sort of hesitate and you think, oh, what if that person is offended by what I say? Or, or maybe it isn't necessarily speaking so much, but I'm with a friend or, or people that I, that I regard well. And, and then they start saying things that I know are, are not biblical, are not right. For example, a very common thing, maybe they start to gossip about somebody and it sort of comes into my mind, oh, that's really not right. We shouldn't be doing this. But, but I'm afraid. I, I back off, afraid to speak up. My gift, that gift of, of Bible knowledge, the gift of, of knowing what's right, the opportunity that God gives to me just passes by. And I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. But this spirit of fear doesn't come from God, says Paul. The Holy Spirit that equipped Jesus for his ministry, the spirit that filled the apostles at Pentecost, did not lead those apostles to back off. You know well the story of Acts and how they were told directly, do not talk about Jesus, do not speak in his name. And they came back and said, we must obey God rather than men. When I think about Moses, a second kind of fear becomes evident. Listen to him again. Who am I to approach the king of Egypt? He says. I don't even know your name, he says. I don't speak fluently. I stumble about, he says. Why should anybody listen to me? At this stage in his life, Moses had this fear connected with inadequacy, a sense of inadequacy. He felt unable to carry out what God was clearly assigning to him to do. And maybe that kind of fear plagues you too. I know it does me. So maybe I hear of somebody that's struggling with a problem in their life going through hard times right now. And I consider, and it, it, it's kind of brought to my mind, and I almost feel the Spirit urging me, 
Make a phone call. Write a note. Talk to this person somehow, some way. Have coffee with them. And I know other people have said that God has given me an ability to listen well to others when they're having problems, to suggest ways to help. But I can be afraid. Maybe I'll say something that would hurt rather than help. I haven't been exactly in that situation before. Ring a bell? Maybe like Moses, you think you don't speak very well. You have a hard time formulating your ideas, especially kind of spontaneously in conversation with somebody else. Maybe you think you just don't know the Bible well enough. Some of you are are younger, and, and you might think with Timothy, I don't have enough life experience to really do that. So one of the elders needs to do that. I don't think I could do that. And maybe some of us are just by nature rather retiring, shy people. And we don't take risks quickly. We don't go forward and take chances. Now, I I hope you notice that I'm not saying all of this involves speaking. Some of our gifts are, are not necessarily so much speaking. Some gives, God gives some gifts with skills with their hands. Some are good at organizing. Some have the ability, as I talked about, to empathize with others, anticipate their needs, reach out to help. But this fear of inadequacy can stifle the use of all those gifts. And once again, that that wet blanket of of fear descends, the, the, the dampness and the dew and I'm trying to start this fire out, out, out in my yard and it's damp and there's mist and it, it stifles. God says today, that didn't come from me. On our own, we may be inadequate, but his spirit who dwells within us is not in any way inadequate. Let me briefly mention one other kind of fear that can arise. Um, maybe that's not the best to call this a fear, but I, I, I'll label it that way. And that is kind of a fear of God himself. There's no suggestion that Timothy ever faced that, but Moses did at first. When he realized he was face-to-face with God there on that mountain in that bush that was burning all the time, what did he do? He hid his face, he, he backed away. And think of the third servant in the parable of the talents. Remember that that parable? You've got the, the ten talents, the five talents, the one talent. And that third servant, you remember, uh, digs a hole and hides his talent in the ground. Why? He says why. He says, I didn't utilize that money because I feared you. The master, I was afraid that you would not be happy with what I did. Now, there's a a healthy fear of God, of course, a, a respect and awe mingled with love. But then there's this unhealthy fear that doesn't come from God. It, it's kind of close to the inadequacy that I mentioned a moment ago. We can be so aware of our own sins, of our own failures, and we think, well, God would not choose me 
to do anything meaningful, anything worthwhile in his kingdom. And so we kind of back off and we play it close to the vest. We're hesitant to step out to use an ability or an opportunity. And it kind of dampens our spirits. We have no enthusiasm, really. What if we mess up again? We picture God rather gloomily disappointed with our past performance. Maybe he's going to leave us sitting on the bench, not bring us into the game. Well, I can take out the joy and zip of serving him. But again, that doesn't come from God. The heart of the gospel is God accepts us. God has forgiven whatever sins we may have committed in the past. Jesus bore the full anger of God on our behalf. And we don't need to earn anything from God. We're not servants anymore. Because of Jesus, we are children of God, his sons and his daughters. God fully and joyfully accepts us as his children. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8. You did not receive a spirit of slavery, fall back into fear. There it is, to fall back into fear. You've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of joy and hope. The spirit of fear has no place in our hearts. It didn't come from the spirit of God, but from his enemy, the one who would love to see us ineffective. So what we need to do is is grab that wet blanket from his hands and throw it into the spiritual trash. So now we have to turn to the positive side of this. What attitude or spirit within us is being engendered by the Holy Spirit? who fills us, that will cause our gift to burst into flame. First, Paul says, it is a spirit of power. A spirit of power. Of hope-filled confidence leading to bold action. The Holy Spirit himself is confident, is decisive, is bold, of course. This is the spirit that breathed life into a lump of clay when Adam was created. This is the spirit who has changed dead hearts all over the world, and he did it with you too and with me. A tremendous, powerful transformation. When the spirit came at Pentecost, how did he come? You know, it wasn't with a little breath, was it? Mighty wind that came, the sound of a mighty wind. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing is right and good, and he acts boldly to accomplish it. And that is the Spirit filling us. That's what he's fostering in us. He convinces us what God is urging you to do. And you know sometimes how that works. You've you're, you're filled, you, you know what the scriptures have to say, and then there's a need or something arises, and you just, you kind of feel this, this urging, this prompting of the Spirit. And he's prompting us, and he's saying, yes, that's worth doing, do that. He shows us it really is important that other people come to know the Savior and become his disciples. 
It really is good and right that we train our children in the fear of the Lord. Yes, it is important to decisively nip sin in the bud in your own lives. Yes, it is important to reach out and to speak for God when there's injustice being done or there's falsehood being promoted. Those things are right and necessary, says the Spirit. And you can act. The Spirit empowers our spirit. He convinces us that he would never ask us to do something that we cannot do. He reminds us the exalted Jesus is the ruler of heaven and earth. And he reminds us of Jesus' words, I am with you always. And that's an echo of what Paul, of what God says to Moses as Moses hems and haws there about whether he's going to lead the Israelites. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God comes back and says, I will be with you. Oh, my Lord, I am slow of speech and tongue. Who created the mouth? I will be with your mouth. Because we speak and act in the power of the Spirit who fills us, we can have this can-do attitude. Yes, we can encounter, we, we can counter some lie that's being spread. Yes, we, we can speak words of help to someone in need of encouragement or guidance or even correction. Yes, we can learn contentment in our own lives. That's what Paul is thinking about when he says this thing that, that all of us always quote, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he's talking there especially about contentment in certain circumstances. We can do that through him, through him, always through him, always through Christ, always through the spirit of Christ. But we can accomplish what God wants accomplished. He gives us a spirit of power. And then he also gives us a spirit of love. The spirit, of course, is all about love. God is love. The spirit is God. Through him we have also a spirit or attitude of love. And it's first of all, love for God himself. Love for the one who brought us out of darkness into his glorious light. Love for the one who first loved us when we were not lovable. He loved us so much that he gave his own son for us. His great love for us and our love for him will in turn then, of course, move us to love others as well. And you know how, how often the Bible makes that point, and I don't need to belabor it, but just let me read for you again some words from John's first epistle. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Now, if you think about it just for a moment, you'll recognize that love counteracts fear. It turns our attention away from ourselves rather than dwelling on the problems and the, and, and the anxieties and the inadequacies. We look outwards from ourselves in love. It frees us from our preoccupation towards self-preservation. It frees us to focus 
on others and on what God is doing in the world. And love makes us then willing to sacrifice in order to serve God's purposes and to be a blessing to the people around us. That's the Spirit working within us, producing His first fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Right. With that loving Spirit, fan into flame your gift. And then finally, Paul says we have a spirit of self-control. And that too is one of the fruits of the Spirit as they're listed in Galatians chapter 5. The Spirit himself is perfect in self-control. Of course he is. He, he knows his priorities. He stays with those priorities. He's not distracted. His thoughts never wander. That's the Spirit that fills us. In his power, we know what the priorities of God are and we're able to keep them in focus, to be self-controlled. And we have mastery over our desires and our passions. Later, Paul is to write to Timothy, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We can do that. We can be self-controlled because we're filled with that same spirit. We can master our desires so that they don't sap our energy, our time. They don't distract us away from things that really matter and what God is doing in the world. And in that same spirit, we can reign in our thoughts. When anxious thoughts, despairing thoughts begin to surface within our minds, we can exercise self-control. Wendy taught me a cool phrase, kick it to the curb, she said. And she's right, and I need to hear it over and over again. Those thoughts that you can't, that things are going to be despairing, that you're... Kick that to the curb. Get rid of those thoughts that would distract us from our joyful service of God and other people. So Paul lays it out for us. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word spirit, I'm sure you know, if not, I'll tell you, is the same word that is used for breath or wind. So now you've got spirit, you've got wind, you've got a steady breeze, acting like a draft to stir up the gift in effective service of God. With that spirit, we pay careful attention to how God is leading us. We pray, Spirit of God, guide me, convict me, show me where you want me to act. He doesn't want us to, to, to visit every person that's having trouble. He doesn't want us to always speak in every circumstance he needs to guide us. And we pray for that. Spirit, guide me. Show me exactly where and how you would want me to act. And then we seize that opportunity when it comes to do our part to serve him and to serve others. I want to conclude my sermon simply by reiterating that God is already at work giving us this spirit. This is not something we need to conjure up for ourselves. 
We don't need to exhaust ourselves with huffing and puffing so that we can somehow build up courage. The breeze is already there. We just need to recognize the wet blanket of fear for what it is, throw that off, and then we need to embrace the work of the Spirit that is within us. We need to walk in step with the Spirit. And I urge you to do that tonight. In this, as in all things, our model is Jesus. What an example of acting and speaking with confidence in the power of the Spirit. It is a Spirit in Him, you know. Spirit who descended upon Him at His baptism. What a model of love and self-control. Let's pray and work that we may be more and more like Him. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you for giving us that spirit. It is indeed one of your primary gifts to us, your people, and it is a wonderful blessing. The spirit that has already molded and shaped us so much up to this point. And we thank you for that. Lord, even as we think of some of our weaknesses and some of those wet blankets, we, we do want to thank you and praise you that you have given us the power, the love, the self-control, to many times be your servants, your hands, your feet, your mouth. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us those opportunities and, and encouraged us and helped us. We praise you for that. What joy that gives us to be involved in your service. And yet we, we still recognize that too often that spirit of fear enters in. And we do pray again tonight that with your might and your power, you will enable us to cast that blanket, that wet blanket of fear away from us so that your spirit in our spirit will fan into flame, not a destructive flame such as we've heard about otherwise tonight, but a beautiful flame, a flame that produces light, that gives warmth when it is necessary, a flame that accomplishes your purposes in the world. Give us your guidance and your strength, O Lord. We wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.